good Monday morning, Arizona, Colorado, wherever this uh, transmission is finding you. This is the Patriot Radio News Hour and your backup crew. This is half the backup crew, crew Brian, calling from Colorado. Hope everyone had a terrific weekend. Uh, woke up to a little bit of snow this morning, had some hellacious winds last night, but uh, glad everything, or I should say most everything that uh, wasn't tied down is uh, still in place. Hope everyone's uh, ready for an interesting week. Uh, Jason, my partner, are you there? Oh, absolutely. We are happy to be on Arizona and Colorado. Uh, it, it, Joe gave me a call this morning, uh, has an opportunity. Uh, one of his friends showed up with tickets to go rub elbows with some golf pros, and Joe called me. It was exciting. It was almost like Christmas Eve. It sounded like he was just... <laughs> just wanted to uh, to get out there because you know, hey, you didn't have to pay for these uh, special tickets where there's only going to be a few thousand people out there and get to watch the uh, the guys warm up. And Joe likes golf, and so that he he's got that opportunity. And and me, I was, Brian, you were talking about the weather, so I wake up this morning. So Arizona, you're this is this is foreign territory to you guys, but woke up this morning. I'm looking out, and there's like two, maybe even three inches of snow on the ground. And I knew it was going to maybe snow this afternoon is what we thought. So I'm out there doing the shoveling and warming the car up, things you have to do when it's, you know, 5, 10 degrees below freezing. And uh, I put on the snow, you know, the the boots. You know, I wear the boots because I know when I get to KHNC, which is where I'm doing the show today, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of shoveling. Our building is on the corner. And so there's a whole lot of shoveling that's going to be going on. So I, I get on the roads, and I'm driving north out of Longmont, by the time I get about a mile close to Highway 56, which is uh, the the, uh, uh, the highway that goes from I-25 into Berthoud, it turns into nothing. I went from sliding off of the roads and, and slow speeds to dry roads, no snow, nothing. I drive all the way into Johnstown. It's sunny skies and no snow at all. So that that shows uh, you Arizona guys how wacky even snow can be because it's, it, it was a complete night and day change just driving here. Yeah, so the, I guess you could say that the weather lines, the weather uh, differentials kind of mimic the red and blue po- uh, political climate that's, <laughs> that's been growing here in the state, too, huh? Yes, I mean, you know, for anybody in Arizona that doesn't know, we're a blue state. You know, we've been voting all the blue candidates in, and that's not because of us here in northern Colorado. That's because of Boulder and Denver. And Longmont is sort of... Uh, Longmont's sort of that little zone just to the uh, northeast of Boulder. So when when people are leaving Boulder, they can either go down, you know, uh, Highway 36 into Denver, or they can take the diagonal north into Longmont. And Longmont's sort of the way to to get out of uh, Boulder and go north, you know, maybe towards Fort Collins or whatnot. Yeah, like and, you say uh, Longmont's a buffer zone for Boulder. Yeah, so so yeah, so. I remember. Do you remember those bumper stickers years ago, Brian, where you know it's like, uh, "Don't boulderize Longmont" because people were trying to hold out and not be like Boulder. Yes. <laughs> and, and so, and so now you don't see that too much. So, kind of like a cancer, it's sort of spreading, and and most of these Longmont people are are kind of cozy with the Boulder type atmosphere, and it's 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 definitely a kind of you know, I, I like your uh analogy brian you know i i drove out of the snowy blue zone and, and drove into the nice uh sunny uh warm red area of the state <laughs> well, well yeah i mean there, there there's holdouts in boulder and then uh also in longmont you know grandpa's pond you know rod rod and and uh similar leaning individuals so we we, we don't mean to forsake those <laughs> those those individuals that are holding down the fort in those well, in those zones so, but somebody uh, has to be on the somebody has to be on the front lines i guess right <laughs> Yeah, no, no 
no kidding, for sure. I mean, I mean, let's face it. Uh, we uh, anyone remembers the '80s movies? Brian, and I like to talk '80s movies sometimes, and uh, I, we remember uh, Red Dawn very, very well, and uh, those kids that are hiding in the mountains and fighting against Russian and and uh, Mexican troops, you know, Colombian uh, with Cuban troops. Cuban, yep. Yeah, they ended up 30 or 40 miles behind enemy lines. They didn't even know it. You know, it's, that's kind of what it feels like when it comes to the uh, liberal nonsense coming out of Boulder and Denver. And that's that's where our show really stems. We uh, we try to we try to be that uh, that, we're that to hold the line voice. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to hold the hold the line on the political airwaves, and it's good that our our transmission, at least uh, from Johnstown, reaches down into into Longmont and and Boulder and even beyond. Yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate because we're going to talk a little bit about well, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the banking system today, and we're going to cover a little more of the historical aspects of you know, how did the central bank uh, right now, the Federal Reserve, and some of these other central banks, where, where do they get their ground their their groundwork? Where do they really start? How do they get to where they're at today? And we're going to talk about that, and and the, it's unfortunate because a lot of the the red versus blue that you know this this back and forth. Uh, football game where people seem like they're cheering for their side more than they're paying attention to to a moral high ground or a moral compass you know it seems like you have to play for your team whether you believe in what they're spouting or not it, this is the banker's plan they get people arguing back and forth about things that just don't matter to these these mega trillionaires that run the world economy and we're going to talk we're going to hit that very heavily we're also since since joe uh uh jumped out on a Monday and didn't check the deals, we get to actually run a special at whatever price I deem fit because uh, Joe's given given me the, uh, you know, he forgot about doing business. So uh, <laughs> I got that's, to look at what was out there. Yes, yes. So uh, coming off this uh, first break, uh, we're going to be able to cover uh, a, a really great special. I, I, I guess I'd be like uh uh, that real staple meal special, I'm going to say. You know, it's a real good deal on a very familiar item, and we're going to hit that, talk about the bankers. It's going to be a good show. We, Brian and I always love hitting the Arizona show, and we're going to talk about how you guys can stream into KHNC. We have a new website coming up, so you guys can really hear what's going on here, because this is, uh, I think this this would be great for you Arizona people to hear what we're doing up here in Colorado and, and listen to our shows, too. So we are going to hit the break. You got anything, Brian, on the way out? No, other than uh, sound, start to sound like Bob Barker and The Price is Right, but we'll see if that's, a, that's what we got for you, so <laughs> stay tuned. Welcome back, Patriot Radio News Hour on this fine Monday morning live, the 28th day of January, uh, one day after the, uh, the uh, Norton, yeah, let me get the word right, National Western Stock Show. Couldn't remember, <laughs> Couldn't remember. I was thinking Northern, Northern stuck in my head, but uh, took the kids couple of the kids and my uh, mom and visited the last day of the stock show, f- affectionately known as the stink show, but uh, always good, at least from my perspective, to go go walk the stockyards. And uh, we even walked behind the scenes underneath the, the event center with the draft horses where they had, uh, most of them had been, uh, already been through their shows and were getting them washed up and squeegeed and put away in the stalls and fed and just a, I don't know, just a, just a great experience from my perspective. But Jason, that's not what we're here to talk about. Well, and just to say that's largest stock show in the country uh, every year, right? I think I think so. I think it is. Yeah, and they uh, interestingly, 113 years this 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 uh, this this version of it, um, and they're really changing. They they've got some plans to to really revamp the grounds. 
I think it stayed in the same place, but the stockyards are going to drastically change. And boy, some of that some of that timber, you can tell it's been it's been out in the sun, out in the weather for a lot of years. But we enjoyed it. Okay, now we said on the, that we had a deal, so I'm going to call this uh, dinners on the table or something like that. This deal is, is uh, nothing new, but well, well priced. So. Well, you know, everybody has that meal maybe you have once a week, maybe even twice a week. Uh, you get to eat it. You love it. It tastes great. Maybe you go out to eat and you go there every week or maybe twice a week. It's not special because you get it all the time, but it's always good. And that's what this deal is. This deal is a $20 lib. And let me and let me let me set this up a little bit. The markets are down. The Dow is down over 300 points right now. Gold is is staying strong above 1300. I think last I saw it was 1302 dollars to the ounce. Gold is you know give it a couple days this week over 1300. Let's see where it goes. Uh, you get markets going down 300 points. You get a couple days like this. You're gonna want this deal uh, every single day. Uh, and and I don't know. I, let, and I'm, I, this is not uh, this is not uh, a bunch of bull. You know, Joe Joe had to take off to his event, so we get to run the show. We get to run the deal. What we have for you today is a twenty dollar lib. We're running these at thirteen hundred and ninety five dollars. Uh, just put a, a kind of an exclamation point. We are looking at gold slowly moving up every day. It's one of those things where it's, it just keeps inching up, inching up, until suddenly you look back and, well, wait a minute. You know, four weeks ago, it was sitting at 1200 So you want to get gold at this price. You want to get these these $20 pieces. This is our meat and potatoes here at Patriot Trading Group. This is a fantastic price because we have something good every day, but when gold moves up, something good, uh, the price goes up with it. So uh, as a Monday morning deal, this is fantastic. Get yourself essentially an ounce of gold at less than $100 over spot. You got you're gonna get it for 13.95. The number to call is 1-800-951-0592. If you're in Colorado, you're in Arizona, if you happen to be uh, streaming in from anywhere in the country, get this deal today, and uh, you'll be better off for it. I mean this. This is wealth insurance at its finest, and uh, this is this is Brian and I. We're excited to be on the show, but man, did, uh, when I heard that uh, that we get to run whatever deal we wanted, uh, I just grabbed it and went with it. And if Joe's listening, it's okay, Joe. It'll all work out. <laughs> well, and here's the funny thing: sometimes Joe and I, uh, well, we'll have a little disagreement because now you know I run the Colorado office, and we get to run some of our own specials. Sometimes we run the the same special as Joe because it's what's uh, it's what's uh, heavy. It's what we got that's really good. Other times we have our own stuff uh, set up, and uh, sometimes Joe likes to be a little more aggressive. Sometimes I like to cut the margins down a little tighter, try to sell more because you know you can keep a regular good margin, good price, and, and uh, sell a few less, or you can cut that margin down and sell more. And I, I'm more of the let's get as much of this stuff into our customers' pockets as quickly as we can, and uh, that's what we're doing today. The number is one eight hundred nine five one. Zero five nine two twenty dollar lives at thirteen hundred ninety five bucks. Right? Sounds sounds awesome, and uh, I, I I get the benefit of occasionally getting to be the spectator and see some of the sparring between <laughs> between Joe and Jason. So there's there's a little bit of a spectator aspect. Yeah, you could say I'm a little <laughs> little perverted in that manner of uh, just watch watching the watching the fireworks. 
Absolutely. So I was talking a little bit. We and you hear Joe. You guys hear Joe's show every day, and uh, we know that uh, we are in a debt money system. Our fiat currency has nothing backing it. Uh, the more they print, the less valuable it is, and the less the less your paper or digital money becomes worthwhile as far as buying a bag of groceries, you know, buying uh, a car. Uh, uh, Brian and I we've been running uh, talking about one uh, one article that talked about a uh, a Ford Mustang in 1982 was 6,500 bucks. Uh, that same Ford Mustang now is. Selling for twenty five thousand six hundred seven hundred bucks, and the income levels are coming in. You know, you make a little bit more money over the long term. You make a little bit more money as years go on, but the amount of the amount that things cost greatly exceeds the amount of money more you're earning. And this is this is the scheme that's been put into place. The scheme that hey, you're making a little more money, you're doing better. But then the stuff, the price you're paying for everything goes up uh, twice as much, and this is the game that we're stuck in, and this is why gold and silver is such an important asset at this point in history, especially because gold and and silver, it's 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 a commodity, it's a thing, just like a car or a bag of groceries. As those things can become more expensive, so will your ounce of gold or your ounce of silver. And it wasn't like this in in uh, throughout history, but I mean, Brian, you can attest to the uh, the income levels and the uh, uh, the the amount of, uh, of inflation that's going on. Yeah, the price of goods like that uh, that brand new uh, pickup. I'll, I'll leave the model out. Brand new pickup for over seventy thousand dollars. I mean, I it was it sure was pretty and shiny and all sorts of gadgetry in the cab. But seventy thousand dollars, seventy seventy two thousand dollars. Hmm, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, I remember watching uh, All in the Family in the old days when I was a kid, you know, and Archie Bunker, you know, the the, the grouchy racist guy, and they, they talked about paying off their twenty thousand dollar mortgage in one of the episodes. Wow. So, essentially, that truck that Brian's talking about, you could have bought three houses in New York uh, back in the seventies. Well, yeah, and there's, and there's five. There's five of those trucks sitting there in the at the exhibition hall, of the stock show. Five. Uh, you know, I didn't see what the prices of the other ones were, but say they're seventy thousand bucks a piece, three hundred and fifty grand, sitting there in the in the showroom. What? What for pickups? There's and you want me to go use it and throw something in the back and scratch it? Uh, wait a, a minute. Third, third of a million dollars in trucks sitting there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, and that didn't that didn't include the. the the fancy aluminum uh, stock trailers with the living quarters up front and the generator set up, and my goodness. Yeah, so w- what has made this happen? Because, uh, and we've covered this before, Joe's covered it before, a $20 gold piece in the late 1700s, early 1800s, all the way into the early 1900s, 130 years, 140 years, that $20 gold piece bought you $20 worth of stuff. Essentially, no inflation. If you look at that time frame, there was some inflation during the Civil War. The price of gold actually got expensive, copper, things like that, because the war, uh, you know, there was a shortage of these materials. But then after the war was over, the debt, you know, got, got paid down, though, you know, the, everything became better. Well, because we have to borrow our money, and, and this is something that I don't, you know, that, that I need to stress more. We borrow every paper bill that you're holding, every digital money unit you have in your bank account, that money is borrowed into existence. For it to exist, the United States government has to call the Federal Reserve and have them print a bunch of money up, and then they send them a, a big, you know, uh, 
briefcase full of uh, treasury notes. We have to pay, you know, whatever the interest rate is bearing at, uh, on that particular day to, to have that money exist. And the funny thing is, there's always more debt in the system than there is money to actually buy things. So when they create this boom and bust cycle, when they bust the cycle, which is where we're getting closer, coming to the next bust cycle, it's like musical chairs. There's always going to be one guy that doesn't have a seat. And and all of that wealth gets taken and, and, and put into the hands of those that are up upstream. So, uh, and, and Brian, you've heard this one before. It's, I, I, like, I liken it to the peanut butter jar. These boom and bust cycles, you know, the peanut butter jar is all the money and wealth in the country. It's essentially all owned by these bankers. So while we're in a boom cycle, they put their peanut butter in the jar and charge, the jar is full. But right before the bust cycle, these guys pull all their money out. All the peanut butter leaves the jar. All that stuff that's stuck to the sides, that's you and me, the average Joe, the average guy. Well, the spatula is the bus cycle, and it comes in there and cleans that thing and adds it to their pot. That is what is going on. We are going to enter another bus cycle sooner than later. And all that gold and silver, like, for example, the J.P. Morgan buying 55 million ounces of silver a couple years ago, then they'll let the true price of these things go where they're supposed to go because then they're holding a whole bunch of this stuff. They, they tell the average guy or the average person in the stock market, don't buy that stuff, it's worth nothing, but they're loading up on it hand over fist, right, uh, Brian? Oh, indeed. Well, I just, I just saw a Bloomberg article. <clears throat> U.S. Treasury set to borrow $1 trillion for second year to finance the deficit, so exactly what you said. Precisely. So I like to always, when I got into this and buying gold and silver, I started looking at well, how do we end up with the Federal Reserve? How, how, how did this happen? And you can go back to the beginning of human history, but for, for time constraints, I'm just going to uh, start into this. We, the first and most major thing you can look at is the Roman Empire. That's where it seems like most modern history, uh, you can take a lot of relevance from what happened to the Romans to what's going on in America. They actually, because they didn't have a modern money system and they didn't have the type of technology as far as electricity and a digital banking system, they they did what they could to control markets and, and control wealth. They actually used gold against the people because they could control the amount there was and they could force people to buy and sell in it. And when you don't have any gold, obviously it's going to be hard to pay your temple tax or your, your tax to the, the Roman government. And uh, it's funny that whenever a government goes into constraining the, ab the ability to have money in the system, that is usually when the end of a country comes. And when they did it with gold, and it actually collapsed the Roman Empire, not because gold was evil, but because the money in circulation was being constrained, and there wasn't there wasn't a working class. The working class had nothing to earn. The Roman Empire was built by cheap copper coinage. the The working class, the merchant class, started for the first time in world history in the Roman Empire, and it built it built the empire off of cheap copper coinage because there was plent plentiful money for everybody to have. But when Caesar came into power, he immediately started making gold coins with his image on it, and he started constraining, and then, and then once again, you're expanding your empire, uh, raiding other countries, uh, all this stuff costs more money, suddenly the Roman Empire starts crumbling morally, they, got, they went into moral decay, uh, financial ruin, they were in debt, 
uh, and and there was always these these guys, these bankers in the background. They weren't as powerful as they are today, but they they were controlling things. Well, that moved on. You had the Dark Ages. The, the Roman Empire collapsed, and in the Dark Ages, you had this horrible time where you had lords and you had peasants. And and to, to make it, you basically had to toil in the land day and night to provide for the lords. And then what did you get for that? Well, when some barbarian horde from Germany or, or the Vikings were raiding the coast, you got to run to the lord's castle and hunker down inside the walls of the castle while they pillaged and stole everything. And then once the raiding, uh, the raiding uh, warriors left, you went back out and started doing it all over again. And the only people that prospered were the lords, the landlords. A thing happened in England, the Magna Carta. Uh, we're getting ready for the break, but we'll, we'll cover this on the other side. When the Magna Carta was signed, it was giving power to the people. England started building their country, and it's interesting. They built it with a, a cheap kind of money source. It was called a tally stick. Uh, we're going to cover the tally stick on the other side. I want to remind, remind you guys out there, one 800 951-0592. Buy those gold $20 liberties at $13.95. It's the Joe's Not Here deal today. Stay tuned. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Critics of President Trump can call him many things, but weak is not one of those things. When the American people voted for candidate Trump, they knew they were voting for a man who is not afraid to take a stand at personal cost to fulfill his promises. As a true outsider, Trump was the perfect man to cast political expediency aside so we could get things done for America and her allies. That boldness is a key ingredient in the secret sauce of Trump wins. I give many examples of how Trump boldly wins for America in my new book, Can't Trump This 2018. One of the key Trump wins I talk about in the book is the legendary move of the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in Israel. We needed a President Trump to make this happen. Previous presidents have had every opportunity to make the common sense choice to recognize the obvious capital of the nation of Israel. President Clinton had a mandate from Congress to do just that. The Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995 was passed by an overwhelming majority of 10 to 1 in the House and 19 to 1 in the Senate. The act went into law in November 1995 and demanded that the embassy be moved to Jerusalem by 1999. However, Presidents Clinton, Bush, and then Obama chose to ignore this act of Congress for political reasons. The embassy move could not have been done by a politician. It had to be done by Trump. The embassy opening on May 14th of last year was a huge 2018 win for Donald Trump, for Israel, and for America. If you know anything about the Middle East, you know we do not have a lot of friends over there and not a lot of friends as steadfast as Israel. Israel is a bastion of democracy in a sea of anarchy, dictatorship, and chaos. They deserve all the affirmations of support we can possibly give them. They have stood behind us through thick and thin. We ought to do the same for them. Americans have had enough of empty promises. That's what Can't Trump This 2018 is all about. Let's get behind the man who is getting things done for us. Thank you, President Trump. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As President Trump fulfills his campaign promises, his accomplishments on trade, immigration, the economy, and protecting the unborn should be celebrated, not ignored or diminished. To track these victories, go to phyllisschlafly.com and find out what's next for the Trump presidency at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Second half of the Patriot Radio News Hour here live on this Monday, uh, the 28th day of January. Got to give a quick uh, mention of what happened in 1986. Space Shuttle Challenger exploded just after liftoff. I, I vaguely remember seeing that on the TV and uh, where I was. I guess I was uh, I was still in high school at that at that time. But uh, Jason, remember that? I remember it. I remember in our class in our school. There was a little bit of a contest because uh, one kid in our school was going to get a trip to go see that, and so this really smart kid, really athletic, just you know, Mister Everything, he was pop popular kid. He was the one that was chosen out of our class to go see that space shuttle launch, where the teacher was going to be. I think it was the teacher was in that one, and uh, yep, yeah, he he got the trip out there to to watch that. <laughs> Unforgettable moment, no doubt. Yeah, man. I, it's, I mean. I guess it's, that's you know there's risks and everything. So if you're going right. to be uh, shot in a in a rocket off the outer space, there's going to be risk there. And I, I guess that day things didn't go right. Yeah, indeed. So uh, on the other side, I, I was covering a little history, and 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 what I'm going to get at is you're going to hear over and over, the bankers are a bunch of locusts, and when they just go to a, they go to a, an area of the world and they just destroy and feed on what they've got. With the Roman Empire, that's it, what happened. They just sucked all the value out of that country. You know, un, unending wars, debt started coming up, and then that country just fell apart. England was the next place, and this is where central banking got its start. The people of England, uh, they, they came up with a banking system. This was a little tiny island country. Not, you know, not not very valuable, not very powerful. Well, they they came up with a money system called a tally stick. You take a you take a, a branch or a stick and you split it in half, and you put uh, tallies, you know, notches in the stick. And one is the the the, the person loaning the money, and the other part is the uh, the borrower. And you know, any branch, any stick is is unique to itself. So when you split the stick, uh, it is unique to just those two people that own both sides. They took the tally stick, England, and they turned this into the English Empire, what they ended up being, the powerful nation of, of the British Empire. It started, once again, just like cheap copper coinage for the Roman Empire, it was tally sticks. Tally sticks was a, a solid form of money in England for 700 years they did this. Well, then they decided to be uh, the government didn't want the responsibility of keeping track of its own finances. They decided to give it over to a central bank, the Bank of England, the first major central bank of, uh, in world history, really. And the Bank of England sent England off, told the king, hey, king, we need to go conquer France, or we need to go blow things up. And that would cause a lot of spending, and that would cause a lot of debt to the banks. And they, they took England and, and were basically bankrupting the strongest empire in the world. And so here you have us. We're sitting here, the uh, the colonies, the Americans. We're sitting in these colonies uh, while while the British Empire went to a gold-only money system, which is that's how that's where the bankers would go to, to bankrupt the country. Not that gold, like well, I'm going to stress this, not that gold was evil or bad. It was just a very controllable money system for its day. 
And what they would do is uh, constrain the money supply. And what would happen? Well, us in the colonies, we're way down the line. We're, we're the we're, we're several generations away from where the money source starts, which is the Bank of England, and so they were strangling us. We, our, the colonists weren't even allowed to use a lot of silver or gold coinage at all. There was hardly enough coinage in the circulation. Benjamin Franklin in Pennsylvania, they came up with a brilliant idea, a, a money form which they, they controlled, colonial script out of Pennsylvania, and it was working fantastically. In, in your history, you won't read this. You won't read about how good it is. You'll read about how America tried paper uh, fiat currencies in its early history, and it failed. Well, it didn't fail because Pennsylvania messed it up. The British Empire saw this this, this interest-free money that was building up the uh, the wealth of the merchant class, and they didn't like it at all. You know, this money wasn't being shipped back to England. It was staying right here. They couldn't have that. So they shipped over bale upon bale upon bale of counterfeit colonial script, and they they blew up the value of it by basically in uh, there was too much of it in circulation. You know, it was I think George Washington said yeah, you can barely I think the 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 wheelbarrow that the the pile of script is in is worth more than the uh, script that's actually in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> So, well, it, it, it just reminded me, Jason, of when we we, we shipped uh, was it pallet loads of cash to Iran in the last uh, the, the ending days of the last administration or, or in the last administration? <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. We got to get some of that out there. Yeah, I mean, how valuable is it? Uh, so they they, they uh, there was probably some sort of a deal with with the Iranians here. We're gonna we're gonna ship you a whole bunch of different currencies. Meanwhile, the currencies are becoming less and less valuable. I, I don't know what they did with all that. I'm sure somebody used it for something. But uh, in 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 the colonies, they could not. They were not allowed to use money. And really, you you, you think it was taxation? The taxes that the colonists paid were far less than what we're paying here in America today. It was it was a problem. Taxation without representation that was a problem. But it was the fact that we didn't have money to actually use. I mean, think about your your you're building this new country. You're you've got your hands in the soil, and you're you're working hard every day. And then all of the fruits of your labor go overseas to the king. Of course, we were going to get rid of them. And here's the part of history that I see as a problem: that that we beat the English. I think the English, uh, the British Empire, was much like America is today. Where if the British Empire wanted control of our colonies, I think they would have con- they would have done that. But they had two problems. One. They knew that killing a bunch of farmers wasn't going to get what they wanted. And number two, they were a bank they were bankrupting their own country with all of the colonies and wars they had across the globe. I believe the Revolutionary War really ended because they had a feeling that if they just allowed us to have our constitution, our Declaration of Independence without a lot of fighting, that if they couldn't easily beat us in battle, they had a plan. The plan was the Bank of England. At the, at the end of the war, we became independent from England, and we had our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. Immediately, we had to start talking about a money system. And in 1792, we, we had our Coinage Act. But in the Constitution, there was no uh, amendment against the, the government borrowing money. Thomas Jefferson really thought that if there should have been an, uh, an amendment in the Constitution to take from the government the power of borrowing that probably would have made our country much more stronger. But from the very beginning, 
starting in 1791, Alexander Hamilton really urged the country, well, look at how poor and how terrible our, our system of money is. We need to have a central bank. So the, you had the first bank of the United States. This was a central bank that was in league with the Bank of England, and it was horrible. And it, and it, it, it did so poorly on, on a 20-year charter that Congress voted it out at the end of its 20-year charter in 1811. We're going to talk a little bit more about the second Bank of England after this break. But as you will see, the, the, banks, the bankers are always learning how to keep control and how to make their machine work. We're going to connect some dots. How do we end up where we're at today? We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back. Patriot Radio News Hour on this Monday. The backup crew, Jason and Brian, filling in for the, the Joe Meister. The, the, the cat is away, and the deal today are $20 liberties, $1,395. Call and get them. Wendy will take your order, 1-800-951-0592. Jason was uh, getting some, some deep banking history. Take it away, Jason. Yeah, yeah. So, once again, uh, it's funny with the bankers. Uh, I like covering the history because it, it, it shows you that it seems like it's a constant battle, which is probably always going to be a constant battle. But government and banking should not be mixed. It should not be – there should be no no banking in government. Banking is a business like any other business. I, I, I liken it to uh, what if Ford Motor Company became the uh, the national uh, car company of, of America, meaning that all cars made, sold, uh, shipped – in or out of uh, out of America, all was under control of Ford. Ford became the central bank of automobiles. It it's it's a it's a monopolistic type of power. They get to tell Toyota, well, we'll let you bring some cars in, but you got to pay us X amount of dollars for every car that comes in. No private car company should have that power, and and that's one of the reasons we try to keep monopolies from happening in this country, even though that's precisely what is happening now. Well, exactly, Jason. Of, of, of all the functions, that's one that the, the federal government is supposed to be staying on top of, is watching for monopolies developing. That's, that's precisely correct. And and so with, with central banking, banking's a business. You get some guy, he opens up a bank, he loans money to the local people in that area, maybe he opens up another branch in another state. It's a business. And when the business fails, it should die and go away. And if it's successful, they should continue to grow and become more uh, profitable. But that's not what we have. We have a monopolistic banking cartel, which which is the business model for all criminal organizations on how to to run an area. You know, the mob in in, in Chicago, well, they they got a lot of their understanding from the banking system. They they didn't learn that by themselves. They looked at at more powerful ventures like banking, and then that's how they figured out how to keep a, a population under their control. So. Where I left off was is we had a central bank immediately upon the, the formation of our country that it was horrible for the country, and we got rid of it. And here's the funny thing. Remember remember those British, you know, they, they, they sort of just allowed us to have our country, which I think that's really what happened. They just allowed us to have the country. The Bank of England warned America that if you, if you take down the charter for the first bank of the United States, if you get rid of that bank, uh, you, uh, you will not like it. You, there, there will be war. Well, the War of 1812 was one year after getting rid of the, our central bank. Getting rid of our central bank meant we weren't funneling our money into the Bank of England, and so the Bank of England decided to stoke King, you know, it was a King George, I don't remember which, which king was in place for, during 1812, but 
the king makes the rules and he wages the wars and suddenly in 1812 we have a war which goes on for three years and the bankers knew the result of this war as the result of this war ends up being 1816 new charter new central bank a bankrupted country that fought a war against the great british empire suddenly uh, was scared to do their own money system and we were signed back on and and the second bank of the united states was way worse than the first much more powerful doing a lot more damage and i love andrew jackson and you'll, you'll hear me always talk about that guy because he under a very specific moment in history became president talked about getting rid of the power of the bank and getting rid of his charter and they pressed him on it every every uh we, we have the presidential uh the state of the union coming up uh i think tomorrow and just think about if Donald Trump would stand up and say, like, I'm going to get rid of this Federal Reserve Bank, and we're going to print money, uh, Federal Reserve notes that are printed from the U.S. Treasury, the Treasury notes, U.S. Treasury notes, not Federal Reserve notes. I'm sure they'd kill him. They'd kill him. Grant, yeah, say, kill Grant, he, he, he maybe needs to be standing behind a, or underneath a Pope bubble for his protection <laughs> once he comes out and does that. But. Well, John F. Kennedy was printing... United States Treasury notes in 1963 when he was assassinated. He put uh, uh, Executive Order 11110 into effect five months before he's assassinated. He started printing United uh, United States Treasury notes uh, backed by the silver that was in our federal banks. He printed four and a half billion dollars worth of those notes. And when they were printing, the, they printed twos and fives. You can actually go out and get those as collector's items. But the 10s and 20s were being printed on the day he was assassinated. All of those bills were immediately taken out of circulation. In Andrew Jackson's time, they, the banks pushed him, and they got, they, got, they got the House and they got the Senate to vote on an early recharter of the bank. You know, the, the re-election year of 1832 was coming, and then the, the, uh, the 20-year charter wasn't supposed to end until 1836. And the bank wanted to get rid of guys like Andrew Jackson out of politics. And they pushed him. They wanted an early recharter on the election year. Take that, Andrew Jackson. You're not tough enough to do it. And he he vetoed it. He he could have very easily just said, look, I, I am not going to take these guys on. But he did. He vetoed the early recharter of the Second Bank of the United States. And uh, a couple years later, they tried to assassinate him. The guy with two uh, pistols, they both misfired. They were both perfectly working pistols, they found out later. They tried to kill him, just like they killed John F. Kennedy. These guys needed, these bankers need to have a bank connected to the government because then the government can then give the unfair advantage to the bank. Without government being bought and paid for by the banks, they cannot have the power to do what they've done. And look where we sit, we're sitting today. There is no new world to escape it. You know, there is no planet that we could fly to and start a new colony. It's just not possible right now. So they are. They have central banks in every industrialized country. They all work in a league. I, uh, I'll just say it. I, my prediction for what may happen in the next few years. I don't believe Trump is really going to help this nation as far as when it comes to banking. I feel like there's going to be a battle between the Federal Reserve and pre- President Trump. I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to see the Federal Reserve possibly go away. I'm going to cover this on the other side of our final segment, but I think I think we actually may see the end of the Federal Reserve Bank, but it's going to be far worse what's going to happen if that happens. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with that on the, uh, the other side of this last break. 
Patriot Radio News Hour, final segment on this Monday. Before I throw it back over to Jason, I just wanted to I'd look at Dredge real quick. Chicago, coldest ever, frostbite in minutes. 60 below wind chill in Minneapolis. Jason, I think we'll take the little bit of snow that we got, and uh, I'm sure Arizona's <laughs> even got it nicer, so take it away, my friend. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't I don't envy. The, the East Coast doesn't get as much snow as we get, but, man, it just stays there forever. So I, I like being uh, at high elevations where the snow melts quicker. So. Indeed. Uh, I just wanted to say, so we talked about the bank the entire show. We're talking about how it's just an it's an awful thing. There should be no central bank. It's almost like it's like the Wizard of Oz. They throw the bucket of water, you know. And the Wizard of Oz was actually based off of the Economic Times of the late 1800s. Uh, the water, the reason that the water killed the Wicked Witch is it was liquidity. It was money that the people could use. And when she th- when Dorothy threw the bucket of water in the Wicked Witch of the West, she melted into nothing. That is what we need to do. We need to throw a bucket of of acid on the uh, central banks of this country and, and control our own money system through our government. But we're far from it. I wanted to do that before we got off the air today. I wanted to just my my pre- sort of quasi prediction of what I think is going to happen in one way or another. I think you'll see President Trump rail against the Federal Reserve at, at, in some form or fashion. Trump, no matter what happens, whether he gets reelected or not, is going to be gone. So if he wages some sort of a war against the Federal Reserve, for example, in the public eye, I think what you'll see is is possibly, how many times have we seen in the news corporate takeovers? These central banks are really, um, most of the time, are the same guys. And what I think you'll see is I think the Federal Reserve will actually be, we'll we'll see it in in our time, maybe in the next bunch of years, it'll be disassembled and taken apart. It'll be be the, uh, we'll get rid of it. But here's the thing, I actually can envision... President Trump sitting at a desk signing a piece of legislation that says we're eliminating the Federal Reserve System. We've had this market crash. America is in shambles economically. To save America, we're going to bring in these heroes, the IMF. This bank, which our listeners understand, it's just another central bank, but that's not what the average American is going to understand. They're going to see this big international monetary fund, this this worldly global establishment they're going to come in and save us economically all we have to do is stop stop the paper money you know get rid of paper money we'll have this digital money system it'll be shared by all these countries it, we're going to save america with this president trump's going to sign this thing saying yes i'm saving the country we're the international monetary fund is going to save us and we're going to get rid of the evil federal reserve system and it's just and it's just bogus. And I really believe that's. And it, 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 if it doesn't happen like that, it's going to be something like that. That's going to happen. This is going to be their 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 ridiculous uh, bullcrap story that we're going to have to swallow. This is how they're going to convince Americans how they're doing uh, the work to help save us. And it's just going to be more of the same. And hopefully, maybe Americans will be smarter than that. What do you think, Brian? So it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that the Hydra is going to sacrifice one of its heads, never mind it's got others, and that it can pop up and it already has in place. Precisely. That's a great analogy. Cut one head off and two heads grow in its place. Everyone's yep. watched those Marvel movies recently. Yeah, that's really what the banking system has turned into, and what we need to do is just kill the beast off completely and be done with it. Uh, our our Congress it has the responsibility of running our economic system and they simply they simply have uh, shelved it off and given it away to a bunch of thieves and crooks so hey 
We didn't cover too much. We had a great deal on $20 Libs. Everybody jump on board. $13.95. 1-800-951-0592. Jump on board. We will hear from you guys later. 